This is the Mess It Up Podcast, where we take your mess and turn it into a message. And now, here's the Bowtie Guy. Hey, welcome to the Mess It Up Podcast. I'm the Bowtie Guy, uh, your host, and we are here. Uh, this is the first or second show, depending on your counting, of our fourth year of doing stuff. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh we like to take messages, turn them into messages, and we've got a story today that will do just that for us. Uh, so I'm really super excited to have our guest. You've heard this guy before. Go ahead and say hi to the people. Hello. Wow, that was coming in strong. Look at that. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, that's Pastor Dan. You've heard him before. Uh, so he's going to be sharing his story with us today, and I think you're really going to like that. Uh, a couple things up front. First of all, we love to have our word of the week. Last week, uh, Dan guested, guested, guest our word of the week without even being told what it was. He just like knew what it was. Uh, and he had some shenanigans with me. Uh, this week is another one that I think that Dan probably uses. Uh, we're going with lollygag uh, this week to lollygag. And lollygag is just a great, great word in my opinion, uh, because it says so much with so little. And what I think of when I think lollygag uh, I think about um, the movie uh, Major League, or no, no, uh, the, the movie Bull Durham, and they're they're not doing real well, and the guy goes into the to the shower, and they're all in there, and he's throwing bats, and he says, you know, you guys are lollygagging, and they said, what does that mean? Well, you're lollygaggers, and just his coaches is or his assistant coaches mimicking him or whatever, and uh, it means to to dawdle, to just kind of. Uh, spend time idly or aimlessly or or not really have like a, a sense of urgency about things oh, and uh, my wife at the mall <laughs> i no comment no comment because she might be listening and uh, i will be sleeping up at your house at some point and i don't want her to remember what got said so <laughs> no not like your wife at the mall not at all no that's not what you meant you meant like some people's wives that we don't know at the mall somewhere yeah, like like you and me at um, the donut shop. Bunch of oh, lollygaggers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we don't want a lollygag in our um, our life, in our Christian walk, in our recovery. So, uh, but if you can use the word lollygag uh, in a sentence this week, go ahead and give yourself those points. I think it would be really fun to make lollygags and have it be like a joke that you play with a sucker, and that would be like a lollygag. And yeah. My first thought was I was eating a. Six-year-old popped and fell on my face, and it got shoved in my throat, and I gagged on my lolly. There yeah. you go. Let me ask you this. How many licks did it get or take you to get to the center of that Tootsie Roll pop? I always gave up. Just got Tootsie Rolls. Oh, but you know you know the right answer, though, right? Three. A one, a two, a three. A three. A three, yes. <laughs> we are children of the same age. All right. <laughs> so, um... There you go, lollygag. Hey, make sure you go out on um, whatever podcast uh, dispenser you're listening to this on and give us a rating and a review. If you like the show, that helps us out. If you want to become a, a patron of our show and just add a little financial support, you can go to messituppodcast.com and push the become a patron button for as little as a dollar a month. You can help financially support the show. We really appreciate all of our patrons. So thanks to you who have joined our patron army. And for those of you who are waiting to enlist, 
you know, there's recruiters all over. So I uh, just go on down there and take care of that. That'll be awesome. We really appreciate it. But what we're here for is to hear uh, Dan's story. Um, Dan, I'm just going to try to back up out of the way and, and have you give us a little bit of a, a background on this party. I mean, you've got so much story you could tell us. Uh, mm -hmm. But but this story that you're here to tell us uh, about, uh, I'm just going to let you uh, go with it and uh, maybe ask you some questions in the uh, interim. But uh, I'm going to just lay back and let you uh, tell the people about what's been going on in your life. All right. Well, to start off, I want to make sure you know that I'm not in denial. I do not drink alcohol. Never have. Don't like it. Whatever. Um, but about four years ago, my doctor found some irregularities in my blood work. And so he sent me to a hepatologist, which is a liver specialist. And uh, they did some tests and found that my liver was covered with cirrhosis in little spots, like freckles almost. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so um, the doctor said, well, we'll just wash it. And then when a, a tumor appears, we'll have it removed. It's, you'll, you'll be fine. And then about a year and a half ago. Well, hang on one second. So you go to the doctor. He says you've got cirrhosis, what? little things. When a tumor appears, we'll take it off. Don't worry about it. How did that go? I mean, what well, are you thinking? Because because if he told me that, I'd be like, yeah, right. Fine, of course. Thinking, uh, I got to wait for cancer before I can get anything done. Right. I put my medication that restricted my sodium, uh, that dropped water because I was I was gaining water weight because the liver wasn't working as well as it should and and so that, that part of the, the process is learning how to eat under 2,000 milligrams of sodium which is an interesting um you would think that would be easy but just you know last night we met or the other night we went out to IHOP and we were going to get just a waffle or a pancake and it was 1,500 milligrams of sodium Oh my goodness. So About you, how many milligrams would you say you were eating at that point of sodium What before, before you had to get this cut off? I didn't care before because- Right, but if you looked at it about how much, because I've never done that math on sodium, so I don't really know I what that looks like. 10 and 15,000 milligrams. And you had to go down to 1,500? To 2,000. To 2,000? Yeah. Okay, that, so you had to cut that, it the other like 80%. Yeah, the caveat to that is, Part of the liver disease means I, I was not keeping the protein in my body. So they said, you got to increase your protein intake while you decrease your sodium. Well, everything from peanut butter to- Protein fish, tastes better with salt. Yeah. So you, so I spent the last, I don't know, year and a half uh, not truly enjoying food because, um, you know, and you and I and Faith and Bev are are foodies. I mean, we love to uh, go out. We love to share recipes. We love to, you know, Faith's a, a caterer for Pete's sake. Yeah. So she's making, you know, tonight she made tiki masala chicken and um, it smells wonderful. Mm. And I get a yogurt parfait. <laughs> nice. So, um, and, and, and for those people who don't know uh, much about medicine, the liver, what is the, the general function of the liver? What's it supposed to be doing in your body? It actually um, produces healthy things for your blood and it makes your blood flow better. It's the, it's the organ right before the heart. So I had a, I have a, we discovered a blockage between the, 
the kidney and the liver. And so in December this year, they put of last year, they put a stent in to widen that up. What that did was it drained the water off my body. It, it allowed that to happen. But it, the side effect was uh, hepatic encephalopathy, which is a, uh, a chemical that uh, ammonia that gets in your brain and it causes you to do things like Alzheimer stuff. You know, I'd miss a whole three days at a time uh, waking up with just in weird situations and not being able to work my remote for my TV, which I, that's, I got it memorized to the touch, but I couldn't change the channel to save my life. And I, I certainly couldn't text or talk. So it's uh, my wife. Were you, an angel. Were you aware? At that point that you couldn't? Uh, you're somewhat aware because I wasn't sleeping. So I'm pacing all night long trying to figure out how to get to sleep. And then I would pace and I, I've fallen a, a few times where one time I fell in the bathtub from outside the bathtub. Mm. And another time I just fell between the, the, the bed and the door. Um, it's just one of those things that it's a side effect of, of the liver disease. So we've got that with the stent, we've got that under control, but now I, I start retaining water. So for the last year and a half, I've dealt with a retention of water. I have to go in and get drained with a thoracentesis or an amniocentesis. Um, and so uh, we were going to the ER uh, as of three months ago and two months ago even, uh, about every week because insurance wasn't cooperating they would say, you got to go to the ER and you have to check into the hospital for three days to get it done. Mm -hmm. So, And it's, uh, just so people get an idea, when you're talking about draining, they, they stick a, a plug in you and, and pull fluid off of your right, yeah. right now they're getting body about, cavity. Right now they're getting about eight liters a week off of my right chest. So that's that's eight liters. That's four two-liter bottles. If you just look at a two-liter bottle of soda, that's four of those a week coming off of you. So uh, three weeks ago, I weighed two hundred. Not that I share my weight with her. I weighed two hundred sixty pounds. This morning, I weighed two twenty-nine because of the water they've been pulling off. And uh, that's not a fun way to lose weight by any stretch, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the challenge has been, it affects my children mentally and emotionally. It affects my wife mentally and emotionally. And I was an emotional basket case because of the encephalopathy. Um, so the, the stint helped the brain clear so that I could make wiser decisions about things I'm doing. I haven't been able to drive since December. And as Paul knows, uh, I get up every morning and go to church and work and uh, like to drive through Starbucks, you know, sometimes. And um, but I don't get to do that anymore. My wife, my wife quit her job and she stays home uh, to take care of me full time. So, yeah. And just so people know, you're a fairly young man. I mean, you're you're middle aged. You're in your early fifties. I am not early fifties, and I have two brothers that have liver disease as well. Uh, one of them died at 35, but he was an alcoholic. The uh, other brother is dealing with cirrhosis of the liver as well. And he lives up here by us. And he's a fairly, I mean, way healthy guy. I mean, he's just mm -hmm. a, 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 work, a workout-aholic kind of a person, you know. 
So um, I just, it's just a gene thing I got from my, my mom. And I don't know who my dad is. I've never met him. And so it could have been from him, but I have no idea. We all have different dads anyway, so it was different. So what changed was about two months ago, I was um, talking to, well, no, it was last month even. It hasn't been that long. It's last month I was in the, in the hospital. I've been there for a few days. And, and one of the doctors said, you know, I don't know why we can't just schedule these, you know, thoracentesis, what they do with a thoracentesis, you know, they go between your rib cage with a, a, a big needle and then they suck it out, you know. And you're a huge fan of needles. You love the needles. You can't get enough of that, right? Very first thoracentesis, I passed out and they coded me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, we just froze. As soon as Dan talks about thoracentesis, he freezes. Oh, <laughs> uh, did I? Yeah. Am I there? Yeah, so yeah. I went into, uh, they pulled me out and, you know, and decided that I needed to be sedated every time. Well, they tried a new sedation process where I just am calmer and I'm able to do that twice a week without a big problem. Uh, but now, have, you said this originally started four years ago with a visit to your doctor. Right. So four years down the line, we're finally starting to get to where you're getting a regular appointment, stuff like that. What were those first three years like? Was that just like, okay, there's a problem, we're just waiting to see, or they not sure what it is and just throwing darts at a dartboard, or what was well, that? They were doing uh, a scope in my throat. Um, they were doing ultrasounds every six months, you know, just to make sure that I didn't have the the symptoms of cirrhosis. Well, that was when. You know, it was just, you know, let's watch it, keep an eye on it. And, we, and we'll see it when it happens. Um, but when I started going to liver failure, um, it was in the middle of this, this six months. And um, we called and it was, a, it was in COVID, you know, big COVID time. And mm -hmm. uh, it was a video conference call. And I, you know, I usually, with a liver doctor, they put their hands on you and push and see where, you know, where your symptoms are. And he just looked at me and said, oh my, let's get you down there. Um, I'll call and get it arranged. And so we went and did the first one. It's amniocentesis in my belly. And, uh, but everything else since then has been through my chest. I, I guess your diaphragm works as a one-way sieve. So when you breathe in and out, it sucks water up into your chest, but it doesn't let it out. Yeah. So then you're experiencing a lot of shortness of breath because you've got all this fluid in there. Your lungs just simply can't expand, correct? Yeah. Absolutely, they can't expand. And then when they take the, 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 the fluid out, my chest feels like it's about ready to implode because my does lungs that, inflate. Yeah, how do they reinflate your lungs? How does that work? I just have to sit there and remain calm and it takes a couple of hours. And then I uh, take a little nap because the meds are so effective. And then by, set, by the afternoon of that day, I'm feeling good. I'm doing work at home, worked on a sermon this week. And yesterday, I, you know, uh, I think I got a lot, a lot of things accomplished. Today, same thing. And I got a lot now, accomplished. I've known you and I've been able to watch you for the last, you know, almost 20 years now. Mm -hmm. um, so I know what your pattern of life is like, but the people who listen, they don't know your pattern of life. And just, you know, prior to all this, you were not a person who didn't do stuff. It's no. not that you were always running, 
but you always had a project. You're always helping someone. You're at the church. You're doing some sort of a fix it or a, a you know, whatever. And I remember when we came up this spring of uh, 20 during the COVID lockdown, uh, you had had a procedure at that point and um, they tried some, some therapy and you were just, you weren't able to put thoughts together and whatnot. Right. And so it's been from outside, it's been a dramatic difference. Yeah. And, and you guys have, you have a big house with lots of people in it. I mean, that's one thing that you know about Paxton houses. There's always going to be people. You've got four kids, you've got uh, typically one or two uh, foreign exchange students, mm -hmm. and then people from the church and a lot of commotion and bustle. And this has put a big bite in that portion of your life, your, your ability to serve mm -hmm. and, and hospitality which I think is, you know, one of your your gifts. Well, what has that felt like? Well, when COVID started, I was still feeling okay. This was last March, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was still feeling okay. So I would, you know, I make barbecue sauce and jam and um, and I delivered it to my church members. I would drive around and deliver and, you know, stay busy because they weren't allowed to come to church. So I would visit with them at their gate or on the front porch and, and um, and so in the, um, and then it, it, it became harder and harder for me to do that as the symptoms got worse and worse. And, um, and, and I didn't realize what was going on, but it just kept going downhill. And you're right, I love to do projects. I, I love to help people. I love to put things together and build and use my table saw and, you know, and I actually gave it away because I won't be able to do that ever again. I realized that. Yeah. How and, does that feel? Uh, it, it, I couldn't watch it happen. I told them where to come get it. It was a friend of mine. And uh, I said, I want to give this to you. I want to bless you with it. And, and he said, no, let me let me pay you for it. I said, no. Listen, it was a blessing to me. I, it needs to be a blessing to you too. And just, you just take it. And so we try to bless people everywhere we can. And in the process, with faith quitting, um, our income level has uh, not changed because I lost um, $2,000 a month in income when COVID hit. And uh, my wife, like I said, just quit her job a few months ago just to take me on full time. Well, she's taken on enough home catering people to take care of that. And, uh, and people have been so generous. People from our past that we have lost contact with have sent a check, a random check, $500, a random check, $200. And we, we're just taken aback because here's the deal, Paul, you know me. I'm going to be the last person in line at a potluck. I'm going to be, I'm not selfish. I try to give as much as I can to anybody that needs it. And uh, it hurts me to not be able to have that ability. Mm -hmm. So, um, and right now, um, I preach half a sermon and my wife preaches the other half. Now, typically, if you know Southern Baptist, as you do, mm -hmm. women don't typically preach and they certainly aren't called as pastors. And uh, so it's kind of been breaking my traditional heart and realizing that God wants to do what God wants to do, whether I choose <laughs> or not. And so, 
so with these twice a week taps, I have energy, at least like one day maybe, but I'm able to do some more things. So I've had some really great successes in the last three and a half weeks. And which is why I, I called Paul and said, you know, I'm ready to talk about this now. And, um, and what's so funny is weeks before, so it was about six weeks ago, I was sitting in the service and I had my friend from college preaching for me um, because I couldn't preach. And um, uh, the song of the week that you're going to do here in a minute is, yeah. is one that just totally hit home. And I'll, and I'll explain it to you after you do it. I, I totally picked your verse, you know. No, that's okay. So you fill in the blanks pretty well. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're a longtime listener, so you know how this works. So let's just go ahead and give the people a little bit of the song. Um, yeah, it was the first question Dan asked me, Hey, do you have a song of the week? And I was like, well, I've got one, but you know, if you want to have one. So he suggested this one, this one is raise a hallelujah. It's by Bethel music. So we're going to play about 90 seconds of it for you. And then we'll be back on the other side to, uh, give you our thoughts about that and to, uh, find the message out of Dan's mess. So here's Bethel Music with Raise a Hallelujah. are back there you go raise a hallelujah from bethel music dan tell us a little bit before you tell us what your thoughts about it um what was your experience hearing the song how did you find the song and how did it first come to your awareness well like i said i had a friend from college who i hadn't seen in years um, agreed to come and help me preach on sunday night and our praise team got up to do music and um and typically when i preach i can't sing preach i don't have the uh vocal strength like i used to and you were uh, just so people know you were you know choir singer and traveling musician in yeah. college yeah absolutely you had recording a cd you know you wouldn't know it but, um, <laughs> but one of the, the so i was sitting against the back door in a wheelchair because i couldn't risk being up front and having a, a breathing problem uh, because it would cause me to cough uncontrollably and in COVID, you know, COVID reality, if you cough, you have COVID, you know. And so um, I was just listening to the music and kind of humming along and 
And one of the side effects of this liver disease is I have tinnitus now in both ears oh. and a lot of hearing loss and a fuzziness that's in my head, you know? Um, so as a singer, you need that head to be clear when you're singing. Right. If From here on the Zoom call, it looks clear, Dan. Your head looks very clear on top. It doesn't look fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, it's shiny. <laughs> oh, fuzz in the ears. There you go. <laughs> so, um, so we we would start this. My daughter started singing, and my kids have grown up in church. And to see my daughter and my youngest son leading worship. It does my heart good, you know, yeah. just to know that, that that is ministry is passing down to the generation. And but the, the lyrics of the song, there's two, there's a verse and a chorus basically. And it starts off with I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And I began to think who my enemies are. My enemy is Satan, and he wants me to live defeated. And so I raise a louder, I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. So when I start to doubt, I need to sing more. I need to have a, a melody. Then the next line is, you know, I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And so I'm able to hear the melody in my head. And then um, the next, the next word, I'm going to skip a line here. It says, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder, going to hear my praises roar. Now, if you've ever heard a singer roar, it doesn't ever sound good. It's just a roar. It's just kind of blasting um and and then uh, up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive and i realized at that point that my life hasn't been a loss and so i began to come to terms with well am i okay with where this might take me physically because if you don't get on the transplant list um then you know you risk kidney failure and then if you have kidney failure you won't ever get a transplant and then you just count the days and so um and that's the harsh reality of the medical field you know mm -hmm. so um i just began to sing and i couldn't stop crying and and i was the only person that could hear me sing because number one i'm sitting against the back wall but number two i think the fuzziness in my ears went and stepped aside for me to hear this melody. Because yeah. as, as soon as we got, you know, back in the car and headed home, I could feel that fuzziness coming back. And um, and part of the disease is the inability to move. You know, I get cramps from my tongue all the way down to my toes. And uh, sometimes I sit in front of the fireplace and just cradle my jaws and my head to calm my spirit. And I just talk to God all the time. And, and I stopped asking why. I stopped asking why, because you know, um, he never promises the why. He always promises that there's gonna be, um, there's gonna be victory, but you have to do this to get the victory. He's also promised that um, I have eternity set for me. Um, but he also says that we're gonna have difficult times. Mm -hmm. And this may be one of those difficult times when, when I started to get sick, it seemed like everything was rolling downhill fast because right. I was getting sick. Faith had to quit her job. And then um, our church um, had a major project and we had 
spent all of our money to get this project done because it was a sewer project that we couldn't we couldn't not sewage you know so um we decided just this last I don't know, two months ago that we don't need to own a building to be a church what we need to do is be a church and god will provide us a place to meet and uh so we had we have four churches that meet in our building and um what's happened lately is i've got hundreds if not thousands of people praying for me and when i walk into that building um i walked in uh two sundays ago to one of the one of the churches was having a leadership meeting and the pastor um saw me in the kitchen because that's why i usually go to get a glass of ice water and um he came in and he said, would you mind if I prayed for you? I said, I would love it. And so we closed our eyes and began to pray. And um, when I opened my eyes, his entire leadership team was there. They came back from where they were going and gathered around me to pray. And the, the churches in Oregon City have uh, been lifting me up. The churches in our association, churches all over the nation are praying for us. And uh, with all that prayer, I can't imagine that God would not let me learn something through this. And so yeah. I'm, I'm praying, you're praying, you know, my children are praying. They're watching me, you know, fall apart. And so, um, the, the, so I decided at that point that I no longer am going to be held captive by Satan. I'm yeah. Every challenge as a challenge that uh, God gives me the power to get through now that's not a name it and claim it philosophy that's just i know god's power it's strong enough to do that yeah and um and i'll tell you yesterday um you know as well I, as well as i do I, i've had cold hands and shivered for the last year and a half because of the blood flow circulation in my body yesterday at five i was like 508 i looked over at my wife she was driving and I put my hand on her arm. I said, feel that. And she said, what? Your hand is hot, Dan. Get it off of me. I said, do you know what you just said? My hand is hot. I haven't had heat in my hands in over a year. And so today and yesterday, my hands have had uh, circulation that they've never had before. And that's, I think that's the power of prayer. You know, my prayer and, and asking God to relieve pain, um, it's, it, he's given me avenues to do that. Um, but the, the process has been, I didn't realize how much this meant to me, you know, being yeah. comfortable. Now, I, right. you know, I still wear a jacket and it's, you know, 78 degrees out here today um, because I'm, you know, I'm bony now. But my hands were not cold. And today they were the same. They're warm, they're even warm now. And uh, I just can't tell you how God has changed my heart. Now, as a pastor, people say, well, you should have a good attitude anyways. That's not true. We had a pastor in, in, in Middle Oregon, one of the, the capital, um, just killed himself like eight months ago. He was depressed and couldn't handle it anymore. He just took his own life. So pastors are capable of sinning pastors are capable of hurting and one of my biggest prior issues as a pastor was i never called the prayer chain for me right I, 
got calls from the prayer chain or I would say, hey, you know, would you put my sister-in-law on a prayer chain? Would you, you know, pray for this person? And, and um, one time someone said, how come you don't want us to share anything? I said, well, because it's my job to worry about you. And finally, someone said in that same time, no, it's our job as a church to pray for each other. And when you don't let us pray for you, you're not being honest with us. Mm. And it kind of kind of hit my pride because I was raised in a part of my life where ministers don't get depressed. Ministers don't have problems. And when you go to church and somebody says, hey, how are you doing today? Your response is, oh, I'm doing well. I'm great. I'm fine. Whether Never been better. Whether you're in a mess at home or not. Yeah. You know, um, my dad, who doesn't listen to your podcast, um, probably because he can't hear. Um, <laughs> he had a door in his hallway that he covered with a, a piece of paper. Uh, he put his fist through it when he was angry, and he kept the door to remind him mm. he's capable of anger. And he's Irish, you know, so he's got a little temper. Um, but, you know, now as he's older, he calls me every day to check on me. And uh, I used to call him and check on him. And and the problem, one of the problems is I, I can't always talk on the phone. Like for tonight, I'm, I have great ability to put my thoughts together. And I do um, stop a little bit and, you know, try to make the sentence sound good. Right. Um, so when you took these words, first of all, in the song, you stopped right at the words that I was going to use. And that was really nice that, that uh, you know, it says heaven comes to fight for me. And that's the thing. I used to pray for strength, and now I I boldly pray for weakness uh, because if I'm doing it, then I'm doing it, and my pride steps in. And so that's the line I really love in this is that heaven comes to fight for me because I know heaven will come and fight those battles. I don't need to feel like I'm alone in it or that I have to fight them. Um, but I think it's interesting. You're, people are going to um, be looking, and their uh, baloney meter is going to go up on you because you said you don't know who your father is, and you just told about your father who you talk to every day. Tell us about right. that. Well, I have a, I have a, um, uh, he's my adopted spiritual father. When I turned, when I was 19, I lived in San Diego, was trying to make a life for myself and became a youth intern at a church. And I, I lived at a house that, uh, you know, they're nice people, but she was a lousy cook. And <laughs> uh, my spiritual mom said, Dan, why don't you come over to our house for lunch? So I started going to lunch every week over there and hanging out with them. And I'd go back to church that night and go home. And then lunch became, hey, why don't you come, you know, to this place with us? And it eventually, you know, it took me about three years to develop a father-son relationship. For a while, he was just a mentor. I would meet with him at uh, six o'clock on Tuesday mornings and I'd be passing out on the stage at the church and he'd be like, if you don't want to do this, I'm not going to waste my time. And he was pretty harsh with me. And I'm like, dude, it's early, man. I, I work, you know, late and anyways. Uh, so, so it eventually became um, like family. I was in all their kids' weddings. Um, they were in my wedding. Um, my, uh, my dad, uh, my mom, one time we were there at the house and and typically the first couple of years, um, I would go to their house for Christmas Eve and then 
they would tell me, okay, well, we're going to have Christmas dinner tomorrow at like one o'clock. So you can come back then. And, um, and then one Christmas Eve, um, my mom said, why don't you stay here? You can get up with us in the morning. I was taken aback because now something had changed. And what had changed was my understanding of what they were doing. They were plugging themselves into my life to um, be a part of that change for me. And, uh, and spiritual parents are very important. Listen, you, you, you may have uh, parents that didn't raise you right, or my mom used to, my real mom, biological mom, um, she was abusive. Uh, she, you know, we have, uh, I have seven brothers and sisters and only two of them have the same dad. So she lived a very extra wild life. And she was an alcoholic and, um, but so I didn't understand how family worked. Uh, every, every time I would go home from college or from, from touring, um, I'd wake up and my wallet would be empty. And I didn't know which brother, my older one or my sister, the younger sister was taking money out of my wallet, you know? So I began to sleep on my, uh, with it under my pillow. And, um, because I couldn't trust my own family. And then finally it got to the point where they, they didn't understand what it was to be a family. And so I kind of broke things off with them. Um, and I said, I'm, I'm not gonna put myself through that anymore. And um, about seven years later, uh, I decided I would start going back. And then the last three years of my mom's life, she was in the hospital and um, the doctors called and said, none of your brothers and sisters will come and get her or take her. And so we had no place for her. Um, so I drove from California to get her. And he said she was just weeks from dying. And, you know, so we brought her. She was in a wheelchair and then a walker. And then she started using a cane. What happened was she started to eat better. We didn't let her smoke. You know, we kind of changed her lifestyle by, you know, just letting her live with us. And uh, she started going to Bible study. Mm. And um, that's, the, that's the first time when I was in King City, I was sitting in my chair and I felt her kiss me right on the top of my head. Oh. She went over and kissed me. I said, well, what's going on? And she said, I just need you to know I love you. And I've mm. always known that you're going to do well. Now, when I was, last time I was on the show, I think we talked about, I tried to kill myself when I was a teenager. And she stood next to my bed and told me I was the worst kid she'd ever had. Yeah. So that's now, a big difference. Yeah, it's just totally different. So this adopted family, my wife has one too. She has an adopted family. Not that her family is that dysfunctional, but she has somebody at her church mentor her. And it's always been looking to somebody who's more mature than you, which is what CR is about, you know. Mm. You look to somebody who's gone through what you've gone through or they're, they're uh, you know, they've been through that struggle or they've seen somebody in that struggle and you help them get through it. They have the experience or they're training to do that. And that's what that relationship is all about. And eventually the mentor relationship becomes a, a brotherhood or sisterhood or family that, um, that you have to give your whole being to it. If I had said no, um, I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. You know, yeah. I used to, I don't know if you knew, I used to weigh 460 pounds. And um, when I was 460 pounds, I just loved to, I loved to eat. Was still active. I mean, you can be big and be active, and that's one of the things I fought was I always didn't want to be lazy. So, 
<laughs> so um my you know to have somebody say oh you're fat you must be lazy um that's a judgment that it really cuts you know yeah because that's never the case even in ridgecrest as hot as it was you and i stuccoed together we drywalled together you know yeah we, um dug you know trenches together we did all that stuff poured concrete while well, i watched while you poured concrete and uh, I, I think I went to the Olympics or something. I don't know. Um, but I, you know, it's the, I'm not lazy. I just I love to eat. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So I got all that stuff poured into me. And if I didn't have that right now, if I didn't find the Lord, this is what my wife pointed out the other day. If I hadn't found the Lord, I would be dead already. Yeah. Because I would have been in that lifestyle. And I was trying to think when she said that, because I, I don't remember things very well, but it just came to me now. If I hadn't found the Lord, I would be dead. Because we're all, now this is where it gets kind of, you know, scriptural. We're all alive in Christ. So those who don't have Christ don't have hope. Yeah. You know, and we pray for, one of the things I pray for when I'm praying for somebody's salvation, is I pray that God will reveal himself through a miracle, perform a miracle. That way they can't, the only explanation is, is God. Right. And I never pray for miracles for myself. I always pray for miracles for other people. And right now, I'm selfishly praying for a miracle, as is a lot of people. Yeah. Because I still have more work that I want to do and that I think I can do. And we're going to do it. Even yeah. in my sick bed, you know, the physical therapist came by today and we, um, talked a little about church and you could tell she was in a church store and we just explained how how we've been taken care of by our church family and they always ask well what church do you pastor at and we tell them so oh you know i drive by there you know so they they recognize it and they you know some of them might be just making nice but the reality is in a hospital as a patient you can minister to nurses yeah um and doctors and so it's just been it's been an eye-opening experience for me and i typically don't have good days like this all the time you know it's already 8 20 and i'm usually in the tub by now right listening I, to your favorite podcast well i finished the podcast this afternoon <laughs> you know you and dad did a great anniversary job you know it's it's really fun i um right now uh Dan's son is hanging out with us, doing a little interning with me. And so I said, Dan, we got to get you on the show. He said, yeah, I'll be on your show. I said, you know, your dad listens to it every week. And he's like, I'm not going to be on your show. <laughs> he he decided he'd take a pass on that. He's my, uh, he's my oldest child, and he wants to be individual so much. You know, if I say turn right, he'll figure out how to go three lefts, four lefts to make it the right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's because he, and, and, you know, he was doing things at school, uh, not bad things. He was like on a comedy team at school for a talent show. And we heard about it from one of his teachers. So we showed up and he didn't tell us because he didn't want to be embarrassed, I guess. I don't yeah. know. He's always been a, a non-performer. Like he does sound and PowerPoint. And he serves really well. Yeah. Performer. And he, I said, you should take a speech class. It's easier to. To learn to talk, he said, I did take a speech class. I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you should you should do better in your speech class. Well, yeah. So, so um, right now, what's the prognosis? What's the future uh, from the doctor's perspective? Well, I actually get. Uh, I start a two-day interview process on Tuesday and Wednesday. Now that's when this show comes out. The day yeah. this show comes out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I'll be sitting in the tub probably that night. And uh, play it for the doctor in the interview process. That's how I know when we get out. Like, as soon as the song really hits, I get out. It's twenty minutes. Uh, oh, and nice then, time to turn over. Yeah. And then I get up, and then the next night I listen to the second half. Oh, nice. So, well, uh, this is going to be a little long. You're going to have a little more tub time. You you threw a little third day in there last week. I was like, hey, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's why we go with an oldie. Explain to somebody who didn't like country music, but they like third day. I said, uh, you like country music. <laughs> yeah. People don't want to admit it. Yeah. Yeah. So but anyways, the Monday or Tuesday and Wednesday, I go, go in for a frozen juices on Monday. Then Tuesday and Wednesday. I have this interview with all of the different departments that are going to take care of the transplant. Now, we've, we've been under the impression that you can still be denied being on a list based on these interviews and how your numbers are. Um, and, you know, with me doing so well with the photosynthesis, I'm a little scared that they're going to say, you know what, let's hold off. But my quality of life has been affected greatly. And right. every doctor I've had said, you need one. So, my liver doctor is going to call them after I'm done. But the, the meetings are called uh, transplant orientation. So it might be that they're ready to do that. They just need to clarify something. They don't, they don't let the cat out of the bag until after they've had a chance to corroborate. And is a liver transplant the same as like a, a kidney or a heart where it's like, okay, the whole thing comes out? Or do they give you a little piece and let it kind of well, uh, do a party with your actual existing liver? I don't know about the exact measurements of how much they can give you, um, but I'm, you know, I'm all positive in my blood type, and that doesn't really matter as much as some of the other things, the genetic sequences I get, I don't know, uh, genetic markers, and you, I have to take anti-rejection meds no matter what I get, but you can get a part of a liver, and liver is the only organ in your body that will grow, you know, I mean, that will regenerate. Right. Your don't regenerate. Your heart doesn't regenerate. Uh, your liver does. And for some reason, you you know you, you have a um, an appendix that no one can figure out why we have it. And the spleen actually plays a part. I you know they almost did a splenectomy, and they said you know we'd like you to keep the spleen if you can because it, it does play a part in the immune system. I don't have a spleen. You don't have we have to explain a lot. I got splenectomified uh, in in first grade. I got uvulated. You did get uvulated, yeah. That's so, um, so how long do they? Uh, is it like once you're on that transplant list? Is it like when you get the call, you just roll and hop down to the hospital, and they? That's correct. Now this is, this is where Claire comes in, because my wife is taking my daughter to school in Hawaii. She's dropping off. She's going to go to University of Hawaii in Oahu, Moana, Mo Manoa, not Moana. <laughs> yeah. That was a cartoon. Manoa yeah. is uh, an area. Anyway, she's going to take her there and she'll be there a week. So I'm hoping that I'll have uh, someone here to take me to the hospital and get me. Right. Started. Now, I have expressed to Faith explicitly my willingness to take Becca to Hawaii so she didn't have to leave your side. Mm -hmm. And I've been shut down repeatedly. 
That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've done my part to try to make sure. Marvin said, book it for a week. I said, you're just dropping her off. So, well, you know. Yeah. There are so many. She's going to lollygag at the mall. She's going to lollygag at the food trucks, <laughs> the restaurant. She said there's a $2 ramen place somewhere that she wants to try. And she's going to go to Leonard's, of course. And she's going to yeah. shave ice, you know. Yeah. Uh, by the way, my friend's going to try to get you a shirt by the time you get in. Excellent. Sounds good. So if you're in the Portland area, uh, check out Mini Hoonie Mike's, uh, Murph's, Mini Hoonie Murph's uh, in uh, Gladstone. Okay. Uh, and uh, you get some great shave ice. It's a great time of year to do that. So Dan, any parting shots before we leave uh, on this? Anything you want to leave the people with? I just have to say, I know that your listeners have been praying for me. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you and, and Heather and um, Giselle, right? Is that her name? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're all, all very aware. And you know, the thing about prayer is um, you don't necessarily have to get prone and throw yourself on the ground and take, you know, all that time. All you need to do is talk to God. So I'm sure that people pray for me when they're reminded of me. I get I get calls all the time that a couple of people from Ridgecrest who have expressed in their note, um, you know, when I was going through this tough time, you were the only pastor that came to see me. And um, I don't remember that, you know what I mean? There's, because that's my lifestyle, you know? Right. So, um, the fact that people pray for me is humbling. Uh, yeah, I know I need it right now. And pray for my wife, man. She's, she's just a go, go, go person all the time. And uh, I need her to be able to relax. And, you know, instead of, you know, trying to get, she, she arranges everything. We schedule between five and six doctors and, procedures and ER runs, you know, in the middle of the night. And so uh, just pray for her that she help, she'll find some peace. And she needs a little time away in Oahu. Yeah. And, um, and I would like to go because I, I would like some tropical sun myself. Um, but Maybe when I, she gets back, we'll go, Dan. Let's do that. Go. Yeah. Um, I can't leave because if they call me, I got to go. Yeah. Okay, after the liver, after the transplant, we'll go and liver. test it out for buoyancy in the salt water of Hawaii. There you go. There yeah. You go. Yeah, I'm going to those man girdle souls. Are... Nice, nice. That's, <laughs> can't wait to go to Myrtle Beach with you. Yeah. Beach? Myrtle Beach, man girdle beach. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think the people have probably heard more than they need to at this point. Uh, but thank you so much for being willing to share. And uh, we'll have you back when you get that new liver in there. And, uh, give the update on that but uh, thank you so much for doing I mean, this i know you asked me months ago and i said there's no way i could do it yeah and i just i wasn't feeling positive at all i went through this funk yeah god is now except the funk left with you know the spirit yeah god is amazing he, mm -hmm. he does amazing things and it's just uh uh, it's a blessing, and I know that uh, it's a blessing to people to hear this. Uh, if you have been moved by this, if you got more questions or anything like that, you can email me at uh, bowtieguy at messituppodcast.com. You can hit intern Dave up with uh, questions or comments at info at messituppodcast.com. If you really just need to reach out and get some information, uh, phone number is 760-608-1942. You can uh, call or text, and uh, I will get back to you. Uh, but Dan, thank you so much for sharing. We uh, love your your willingness to participate, and um, 
we just know that uh, God's got better things in store. So we can't wait to hear what those are. Thanks again, Paul. You betcha. And we'll see you guys next time we mess it up. Thanks for checking out the Mess It Up podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email info at messituppodcast.com. Don't forget to share with your friends, and we'll see you next time we mess it up. Mess it up.